Welcome to the Rationalish Podcast. I'm your co-host Morgan Wack, and I'm with the unassailable Eddie Matthews. Mm, welcome back, folks. <laughs> I know you missed us. We're sticking to a pretty good schedule, though. I'm, I'm proud of us so far. No promises for the future, but anyway, Eddie, I, I've been—it's been pointed out to me by a few of our a few of our terrific listeners that even though you convinced me that our podcast needed to be tagged as explicit, we have yet to curse on the podcast so we haven't said fuck yet (laughs) damn it i was gonna say what what should be the inaugural curse word on the podcast but uh it's so (laughs) unoriginal unbelievable i was gonna go with maybe tiddlywinks or something uh something of a higher higher standard bollocks maybe but uh fine i guess it's just the f word that's uh basically uh That's funny that that was pointed out because I just assumed one of us would say fuck like per episode. I think we just needed to break the seal. I think we just needed to break the seal. And now <laughs> I think it's uh, it's okay. See, should we should we talk about what we're what we're gonna talk about today? Yeah, that sounds great. We're gonna talk about the influence of celebrity in fucking society. <laughs> See, right? it just adds it's just more pronounced, you know? It's uh So we're just we're we're say now, huh? <laughs> Exactly. We should have a somebody stat counting in the background. Yeah. Um no, so yeah, we're gonna talk about the influence of celebrity in society. And I actually had a question for you as well oh, no. <laughs> um, to kind of dip, dip into this topic. I thought this would be a good way to do it. Um, so I was watching this interview with Robert Pattinson on Howard Stern. Interesting. I wouldn't have, uh, this is, wouldn't have this, tagged that as something that existed, but go ahead. In case listeners were wondering what I do with my free time, <laughs> I dig into the archives of Howard Stern interviews. Dude, don't lie. It was the archives of Robert Pattinson. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so Robert Pattinson. So Howard Stern's like, hey, you know, like, we're both good looking guys. Like, we can score any girl in the room, any room we walk into. And Robert Pattinson's like, right, like, um, that's uh, actually not been my experience. <laughs> That's my inaugural uh, bad impersonation for a bad impersonation. I mean, Howard Stern obviously doesn't know about Team Jacob and how uh, how strongly they support their <laughs> their uh, yeah, that's their boy. So he's got to catch up on his. But, his but also, like, so Robert Pattinson was making the point that it's like once you're famous, you kind of have to second guess everybody who might think they want to get into a relationship with you because. Mm they the person that they actually are getting into a relationship with is probably vastly different from what they have in their head of this kind of celebrity uh image i suppose do you get that Um, as well just being like like, so good looking and people are just expecting to be this manly man but you have feelings and you don't know how to express those things well, and this is what I wanted to follow up with you is that um, he, so Robert Pattinson was saying it actually really narrows like who you can date, you know, because you have to take all this into consideration. Mm. And I was going to ask you as, you know, a former two time player of the year <laughs> in soccer in San Luis Obispo County. It's uh, quite competitive. Uh, how uh, did you <laughs> deal with that? 
You know, it's uh, the fame definitely came hard in the beginning, and the drugs that came with it, and uh, you know the, the late nights. But uh, I've I've survived, to come out the other side, a, a better man. So, you know, it's a uh, it's a process, and eventually you end up uh, holding up and creating a very subpar podcast <laughs> with the one person you can trust. <laughs> I, I will admit, I was I was starstruck when I first met you. Is that um, right? You were and like, then, man, look at those. And then, the rec specs are just too much. And then <laughs> once I really got to know you, I was like, oh, yeah, he is just like one of us. Mm. Yeah, I get that. That's what that's my tagline. Just like one of the people. <laughs> this this reminds me of an interesting study, actually. This is very tangentially related. But uh, there are a lot of studies that show that men actually – as they get higher levels of education or higher status in society, actually feel that they have far more opportunities for suitors, while women mm. have or see themselves, perceive themselves having far fewer opportunities for suitors. And this leads to this kind of asymmetry for high-status individuals in society where women feel they can only date up and men feel they can only date down. Um, and it's a big problem in, in societies that are very stratified, where there ends up being a lot of like low end, low class, low status men who cannot find a partner because they are nobody's higher ranking, higher standard. And it leads to a yeah, lot of conflict. That is really fascinating. Not super related at all, it is but really... it's a very interesting study. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that bears itself out to be. Pretty true. I mean, we're talking about stratification I mean, of society and we're talking about celebrities. So it ties in. But anyway, I, I yeah, also yeah. just saw a poll that came out uh, for Reader's Digest. I was trying to do a little research on trustworthiness and people in America. And my favorite finding was the fact that Johnny Depp, more trustworthy than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, according, <laughs> according to American society. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just love that they were both even Dude. on the list of <laughs> people to rank. <laughs> This is yeah, that's a that, that's a really strange. <laughs> I don't I don't see RBG as a celebrity. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't Maybe it wasn't celebrities. They... It was just most trustworthy people in America. Oh, uh, okay. But I suppose you have to be like my you know Drew Summerfield's not on the list because he's not famous yet, but uh, he will be, and then he'll make the list. I suppose you have to be somewhat a celebrity to to even be considered by Reader's Digest. Right. Yeah, that is kind of a strange list. That's some that's some genuine uh, liberal bias in the media, I think, <laughs> putting RBG on there. I suppose. Was Scalia listed? I did not see. I too? honestly stopped after I saw Rebecca Ginsburg and Johnny Depp next to each other. Um, but I didn't yeah. see, There were a few others. I know uh, I saw – I mean there were quite a few. Tom Hanks was like first on every list, which makes sense. How could you not yeah. trust that guy? Even if it yeah. came out that he was a terrible person, I wouldn't believe it. This is this is part of what I wanted to talk no, about. So should yeah. we, should we get into it? Yeah, get into it. Uh, what kind of fascinates you about this topic? Yeah, so I think that the same way that sports and some other kind of common phenomena in society are kind of maligned from academic studies because they're seen as kind of othering or not important to. Mm-hmm the overall health of society or politics in general. But I think that does a really huge disservice and creates a massive gap in actual impact 
where I think that celebrities have an overwhelming influence on society and the way that we think, the way that we organize ourselves. And they are largely taken from an unrepresentative, skewed group of people that live in very specific areas and have very specific upbringings. Um, and I think that these systemic biases or systemic patterns in how celebrities become famous and how they see the world end up having a massive impact on the way society sees itself. Um, and I think that ties into politics. I mean, there's been a lot more discussion about this, given the fact that our president is a reality TV star. And I think it gets simplified down to that, that it's just kind of comical. But I actually think there's far more to it than that. You can look at other countries. I mean, there's soccer players that have become presidents, like in Liberia, George Weah. There are mm. politicians, like Manny Pacquiao is a senator in the Philippines. Um, one of the oh. leaders of Italy was a former comedian. And it just allows you for platforms. So there's this crossover with politics directly, but there's also the kind of indirect crossover, which we talked about in our first episode about kind of the way that they impacted things like the Me Too movement or um, victims, uh, victim impact statements, um, the Shannon Tate murders, kind of the OJ trial, things that otherwise just fade away when they're they're so either so common or so rare become heightened in such a way when celebrities are involved. I know how about you? Yeah, it's also it's also interesting that your notoriety at the given time has a huge bearing on whether or not um there are repercussions for your actions. So what I'm talking about is um I guess saw this uh article on the ringer that made the point that it's a bummer that R. Kelly's only kind of uh, his comeuppance is coming at a time where his musical relevance is non-existent mm. rather yeah, than true. at like its peak. But could it have? Um, you know, that's the question. I, like if R. Kelly was massively popular right now and all this stuff, like maybe. But I mean, the it is kind of hard to argue against the idea that some people are so famous and so widely known and so powerful that uh, nothing, they're completely untouchable, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm thinking of like the Woody Allens of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that everyone knows who Woody Allen is, but he had such a like tremendous like impact in a very, you know, in show business. Like yeah. it doesn't get kind of more seen or you know known than that and i think woody allen's also one of those people that like if you don't know woody allen or his work like, you're guaranteed to love someone's work who was massively influenced yeah yeah by or uh woody allen um and so it's kind of this interesting thing where they sort of certain celebrities kind of become above the law because it becomes like a certain facet of their just public persona mm -hmm. rather than oh this is actual corruption in concrete terms yeah so i think about um i mean the oj example is a perfect one but also like that trial went from being did this person murder his ex-wife to 
um, like a referendum on race in the LA police, you know, and that's, that's, it's, I'm truncating it way too much and it's way more complicated than that. But OJ's fame made it that if he was not, you know, a famous former football player, then no one would have paid attention. And that might seem like an obvious statement, but if you extrapolate that out into what that says about society, there is a massive imbalance between, you know, the the rules and laws and conduct that everyone else in the citizenry operates under, and then kind of this special group that has a lot of money, has a lot of fame, has a lot of uh, support from XYZ, and can kind of do whatever they want with impunity. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think... It can go both ways, which is the the interesting part. They can be hugely influential in very positive ways, but also in extremely negative ways. I think the the example that I pulled out to show kind of two sides of the same coin was Elvis Presley in the 1950s was brought on when the polio vaccine first came out to help with the public the publicity behind the the vaccine. And when he got vaccinated on television, it coordinated with a huge spike in the vaccination rates um, and led to a lot of going into a lot of er eradicating polio in the U.S. And then you see things like today where someone like Jenny McCarthy can take kind of an obscure fringe conspiracy and turn it into this massive issue where now we have, you know, people not taking their MMR vaccines and measles and polio and all these crazy things starting to come back. And I think that is a good example of just how much power celebrities, not just actors and actresses, but sports stars and musicians and anyone who can hold the public conscience has. And the responsibility that they have, even though they really most of the time have less interaction with common people and like modern society than literally any other section of modern life. Yeah, it's also kind of can be vicious and how quickly that can fade once you're, you know, mm -hmm. once you hang up your cleats or, or whatever, like uh, how quickly people don't care about what you have to say as, you know, when you're not at the pinnacle of your career any longer. Of course. I mean, even not um, at the pinnacle, you're still fighting for these individual jobs. It's such a top down asymmetric peak for a lot of these industries that when you slip an inch you know your voice is suddenly on page 16 of people magazine and not the front page and it makes a massive difference yeah. in their relationships and the movies that they get cast in and how their songs billboard charts it's it's a big deal i mean and i these these perverse incentives that kind of force people to push the envelope in areas that they might otherwise not have I don't want to get into the Jussie Smollett case, but it's a perfect example of how toxic this type of environment is, but how much impact it can have. Yeah, I think that um, just, you know, talking more widely about the effect that attention has on a person, like, it shouldn't surprise us in the least when somebody who's internationally known when they're a kid turns out to be just like a monster as an adult <laughs> so 
like we collectively do that in society to this kid, you know? And I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something that's, that isn't really talked about. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that person screwed up. Oh, what happened to Amanda Bynes? She's tweeting some weird stuff about Drake or whoever, you know? But it's like, no, there's a, there's something much more deep psychologically that is being completely like rewired in that kid's brain. And there's just, I don't know, those are such developmental years. Like how do you encourage and foster, you know, like a responsible, caring, empathic, loving person out of somebody who's been told that they've never done anything wrong. Who's been making like millions of dollars and has like, what's the ceiling of that person? For the rest of us, we are like have something to like strive and build towards. Like we probably hit the pinnacle of our, you know, yearly earning in our forties. For this person, it's like when they're thirteen. Like, where do you go? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, unless you're able to get an MTV Music Video Award, then it's pretty much uh, downhill from there. I, there's a few different issues here. It's the individual level, if we're looking at what just fame does to people, that's a problem. And I think the bigger problem is what fame can do to the inf- you know, the, the rest of us, then people who look up to those people, or even just people who are involved in popular culture, which is pretty much everyone. Um, and I think that is an issue that is definitely marginalized and has been relegated to kind of the the tabloids rather than the front lines of, of modern journalism where it should be because of its impact on society. And like you said, I mean, the, you're taking from a, a pot that has had a, an experience growing up that is so unique that it can't possibly they like celebrities that grow up in these areas can't possibly have a great idea of what it's like to grow up not being famous and not having every single step and statement recorded and presented and twisted and having no idea who to trust and it's uh it's definitely this sort of skewed narrative that they try to project onto society that's not necessarily wrong, even coming from a good place. If you don't understand what the parameters are for other people, it can be very damaging. Yeah. I mean, I think this is why I enjoy people who, once they get the platform, they try to undermine the platform while on the platform. (laughs) I don't mean to be so paradoxical, but uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean. So it's the idea of talk shows. The whole premise of a talk show is let's bring out this beautiful person so we can all watch them and they'll, they'll give an amusing story, whether prepared story, mind you. Yeah. (laughs) Whether they're amusing or not uh, in real life. In any case, they're bound to always be beautiful. And won't that be nice <laughs> to just to just take in? Um, because why wouldn't we put the most beautiful people on TV if we have to put sub on, right? Um, so already it's kind of a strange premise. It doesn't it doesn't hold up to much scrutiny, uh, but it does access some lizard part of our brain that you know taps into that. 
and so um so that's why i love nathan fielder and his comedy and it's just all about showing the artifice of everything that we don't question as you know important or valid or uh we just don't question the root of and so nathan fielder kind of went on jimmy Kimmel, and he had this he made uh for those of you who don't know he has a show on comedy central called nathan for you and the premise is that he's a small business consultant and he goes around to different small businesses in america with innovative new ideas of how to revamp their business and kind of you know drive revenue and so he uh and obviously it's satire and so his uh, ideas are always outrageous and you know funny and you know bless these people because a lot of them most of them seemingly take it seriously and they kind of do it so that's the whole point of the show so he did an entire episode where he crafted this incredible story about how he got pulled over um by a cop and like got into custody got arrested for carrying coke but the coke that it was assumed to be was like the ashes of somebody <laughs> i think the the story goes it's the ashes of his dead grandmother or something but i think in the show they purchased like someone's ashes so it was like legitimately yeah so anyways he tells this he goes on jimmy kimmel and he tells this 10 minute long just like crazy story that's all technically true because they set it all up as part of the show. Mm -hmm. um, but he did the whole thing and the whole thing is like, and he's this Canadian guy and he comes out and he's like, I know everyone who comes on here is supposed to have a really witty story. Um, but, you know, I'm a pretty normal guy and my life's pretty boring, but uh, this thing did happen to me. <laughs> and so the whole point of the, of, the episode on his show is to to give him the best talk show story ever mm -hmm. so that he'll be a valid guest you know? yeah and then um and then he goes on conan and tells the exact same story <laughs> purposefully yeah um and then he goes on conan another time to talk about how and he brings a backup guest just in case he gets too boring <laughs> like in case his story isn't engaging enough and his backup guest is susan sarandon and so Conan can like opt to talk to Susan Sarandon, you know, anytime uh -huh. that, that Nathan chooses. And then when Conan tries to, Nathan gets really offended. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's the, it's the, all of this idea where it's like, are we really bringing on, you know, are we paying attention to the most interesting voices in our society? The, those that we have anything to learn from, um, or are we just kind of arbitrarily valuing you know, certain characteristics that were other. Um, so it's just funny because he's such an outlier in terms of talk show hosts because you don't see him, people like him continuously on TV unless they're anchors for CNN or whatever. I do think that's the nice thing about sports is that, and, and music, um, the music industry as well, is that it does kind of create to different audiences outside of the film industry where it's pretty standard celebrity... Uh, fun fanfare i think in sports you can get you can access personalities that you definitely wouldn't be able to find in hollywood um especially overseas and in other places where athletes become huge stars i 
love the story about Didier Drogba basically stopping a civil war in Cote d'Ivoire because the the World Cup was on, and he came out and said, "Guys, we can uh, we can do this after the World Cup, but for now, let's let's chill." And that was enough to stop an entire civil war. Um, and that sort of power that he has just for being a great soccer player is pretty incredible. Well, his is a special case too because he's from Ivory Coast. Right? Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah. So, like, a really small country. I mean, it's my assumption that he's by far the biggest kind of uh, soccer star that's come from there. Right? Yeah, soccer star. Yeah, it's actually twenty-five million people, so it's about the size of Australia. So it's it's okay. not crazy small. Wow. Huh. But yeah. Well, there you go, rationalicians. <laughs> you learned something today. Definitely off topic, but yeah, especially the French-speaking African countries get really isolated from uh, the modern the American consciousness anyway because we don't really understand what they're saying and it's a problem but <laughs> yeah so okay do you want to talk about shift this into a discussion more of how politics and celebrity come together yeah I mean I think you're seeing kind of in many ways the apex of it right now not just because Trump's the president but because um just because their public profile is so much bigger, you know, and people like dig for so much more information, like whether or not you want to know what, uh, Acacia Cortez's boyfriend looks like, you'll probably know if you're on Twitter and you follow politics, you know, it'll just pop in front of you, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. I mean, so it's a, it's a really strange phenomenon because you have, you have kind of two types of people. You have seasoned lawmakers who are good at Washington. And what I mean by that is that they're the boring as hell people. <laughs> but but it's purposeful because they they actually care about policy and they care about law. Well, I think that's and, the, the you know, you, it's the interesting thing is that Washington used to be its own game, kind of the antithesis of Hollywood, where you try to be the most right. boring person as possible you don't want to have any gaffes you don't want to have any sort of trouble with the press um and that's been completely turned on its head i mean imagine if rutherford b hayes had twitter we'd be steeped in rutherford b hayes stuff right now and it would be a totally different society my favorite president Um, (laughs) i'm gonna try to call him out as many times as possible And now I'm going to actually learn stuff about. I'm going to. I'll RBH. buy you. A, yeah, I'll buy you his biography. I have a few copies, of course. So that'll just be our thing to refer to RBH like later in later episodes <laughs> of the pod. People are like, "Who's like RBH? Who's that?" Only the, the only the loyal fans. Rutherford B. Hayes. <laughs> yeah, um, but no. So I think about people who are who are tr- very much trained like that, and I think it's a good point. It's like, why would I want the press's attention on me? I'm trying to get shit done, but the idea that um those people who kind of know how the system works and know how to game the system and know how to kind of like move the pieces to get what their party wants the mitch mcconnell's of the world too like he's a perfect example of this um are kind of being dragged into this spotlight that they're one like not good at and two not comfortable with and so like the the premier example of this is when uh, you might have seen this video where a bunch of kids and then some teenagers and then I assume like parents 
showed up to Diane Feinstein's office uh, to advocate for the Green New Deal. I did see that. So yeah, that there's was bad. all these, there's all the, there's all these kids with like a big poster, mm-hmm. and they're talking about like, we want you to advocate for the Green New Deal. <laughs> One of the kids has a lisp too, and it's really funny. Kids got an eye patch in the back. Uh, <laughs> just. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> And they're just like, oh, they're just like the the complete, uh, you know, epitome uh-huh. of the innocence of childhood. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, They've got like tear filters on their Snapchat. Yeah. And so anybody who has like a just like a modicum of skill in terms of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like social media or media uh-huh. kind of um, interactions would immediately be like wow, like, thank you so much for showing how much you care about this country. I'm really going to, like, take this uh, seriously. Um, I'm going to take this poster. It's going to hang up in my office. I'm going to meet with my staff. We're going to talk about some of the things. Um, I have to run off to a meeting right now, um, but I, w- I would love to, you know, get in contact. The color green you know, is one of my favorites. I'll get your teachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I just demonstrated in 30 seconds how she could have easily just completely defeated Are you trying to get hired? Are you trying to get hired off our podcast onto Dan Feinstein's team right now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Diane, if you're listening, Unbelievable, if you can dude. hear We're like three me, episodes in. I'll speak up. No, yeah. Um, but no, instead, she like has this, I don't know, three, four, five minute uh, like argument, <laughs> straight up argument with these kids. And then some of the teenagers and then some of who I assume were the parents like jump in and are like, well, actually, this is going to affect our generation. And like this is something you really need to take seriously because uh, it's been put off. And she's like, she just goes into this full like defensive. Like I was I just won an election. I was just reelected. Why don't you run for Senate? It's like, oh, whoa. So there's just still people. And I'm wondering if that kind of generation um after they retire and are out of congress if everybody in the new generation is going to be fully like you see this with athletes now athletes that are coming to the nba are so like there's such a there's they memorize the right answers to say right and so they don't do the rashid wallace thing of like saying whatever's on their mind well it's tough because they imagine if are like very scripted. imagine if you had to run like three miles and then somebody ran up to you and was like did that suck did that guy next to you mess with you <laughs> it's a, a very well, this, this goes back to my this goes back to my first question for you because i don't know if you saw what i saw but i saw a full morgan whack profile in the one of the five cities newspapers oh boy about uh That's the big time you being the <laughs> player of the year so i don't know if they were asking you questions right after you got off the pitch but you might be able to to answer that better than i would i mean uh luckily for newspaper interviews you can kind of bring your inhaler and and uh, allow the the anxiety to to take hold and then you know bribe them to to make you look good so it was a little bit before the the i don't want to date myself it was a little bit before the twitter age luckily yeah Uh, (laughs) but but yeah i just think like with um in Congress, I think there's like, the, I think the very last generation. So I think like Paul Ryan represents the very like last, uh, I guess, edge of the generation that doesn't really isn't like great at this type of 
celebrity and politics overlap. Well, I think there's I there's think... two types of. Go ahead. Uh, I'll finish when I'm when you're ready. Oh no! I, well, so, and I just think that everyone that's kind of coming into Congress now can see the power and have to be charismatic, and that's like one thing you can't really fake. And so that's something that's you know, uh, useful. But um, I think the next kind of uh, group and like the when our generation starts, you know, fully getting into Congress, um, it's going to be more the norm. And I can't say that that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is where they kind of come together. The nexus of celebrity and politics is authenticity. I think this is where celebrities have a massive advantage over politicians in the realm of politics because people vote for people they trust and trust is built through authenticity. You can have a Twitter account, but if it's obvious that you're not the one controlling it, if it's someone on your staff team or if it's just blanket statements from your party or positions on stances, you're not going to get any followers for one, but two, no one's going to find you interesting or treat you as anything other than a politician, which is a terrible brand, especially in the United States, but also elsewhere. So if you can show you're... that you are that you are authentic in your beliefs, even if those beliefs might be contrary to what people seem, and that's literally what a lot of celebrities are trained to do. Like Actors are trained to be authentic. That is literally the training that they're given. Um, and there's a reason people loved Ronald Reagan. I mean, you can criticize his policies, but he presented a very confident... He never presented any nuance. He always presented uh, like a front-looking front uh, picture of how he saw the world, and he was going to make you conform to that. And that's very powerful in politics. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the key thing there is that um, you also have to offer a vision, and I think that Reagan's vision was very compelling um, in its time, and he had like a very compelling adversary too, so that really helped. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think that, do you think that Bernie is an example of like a Reagan on the left in terms of paints with (laughs) too broad of strokes and has a compelling vision, but I don't know. It's a, it's a strange comparison because Bernie doesn't have the charisma that Reagan had, but there is, it's just, it goes back to the authenticity thing. And that's what makes him marketable. Yeah, I think I think there are definitely similarities. Like the charisma that comes from this sort of confidence. They're, they're very different in the way that they present themselves. I think Bernie Sanders' kind of persona has been, you know, forged in the fires of the government. While Ronald Reagan was a relative newcomer who was himself an actor, um, and so what they were basing their views on comes from a very different place. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's similarities to all successful politicians. You could say the same thing about like Bill Clinton. He had this, the confidence that put him over the line. I know we talked about George W. Bush, very incompetent in a lot of ways, but he also had this legitimacy and authenticity to him that people found enjoyable, even when they didn't agree with his policies. Right. And I guess arguably what, um, won him the 2004 election is that Kerry very much lacked that. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would totally agree. I mean, that's... It's yeah. a strange thing. It's a strange thing that I don't... And this isn't a critique because I'm, like, susceptible to doing this too. But it's a strange thing that you would vote for president based on someone that you would, like, like to hang out with yeah. rather than someone that is, like, 
just has a better. CV. It is a weird aspiration. Like you're gonna get invited to the White House and like crack open a beer. <laughs> it doesn't seem. <laughs> it's a very odd fantasy to have, um, but I think it is a powerful one in that that's how people they kind of vote with their gut a lot of times, especially when it's close. And maybe these days it's less so because it's so divided that it doesn't come down to kind of those gut feelings. It's more about ideology. But yeah, I agree. All right, so I got a question for you. Who would be your ideal, yep. if you had to elect a president, they couldn't have any history of politics whatsoever, but they had to be renowned throughout the United States. Who would you select? So a celebrity president of your choosing. Right. Yeah, so I can't I can't get too granular here exactly. because that has to be someone right Yeah, somebody that people would actually um, vote for. I mean, the example that immediately jumps to mind is Hanks. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason he's the most oh, trustworthy. It just seems like yeah. nobody would object. Um, Everyone would be like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like he would be kind of the like reconciliatory force that would merit such a divisive time. Um, I can't believe I said divisive. I'm a divisive person when i use that word i say divisive i know it's pretty british to say divisive i don't even i think that's i know i've been here too long Um, how about how about in the uk is there a celebrity you would select as a a british celebrity that you would want to take over for Theresa may i mean all the examples that jump to my head immediately are actors even though that i think actors are we give them too much credit. <laughs> Boris Johnson. Uh... Um, but I would say uh, Idris Elba would be a good Ooh, choice. Okay. I think I, that's got to be a movie, right? There's for sure a movie where he's the prime minister. If there isn't, then BBC needs to get on it. Yeah. Did we just come up with <laughs> a million dollar idea? Idris Elba and Tom Hanks unite UK and the US in a battle against aliens. I think there's your script. Cop- copyright that. <laughs> this brilliant. is copyrighted. This is minted. Ta- I might have to edit this Taylor, out. I don't want Taylor Swift any chance. In charge of the military. She's leading the front lines. I think. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, what about? Uh, uh, who would who would you for for the U.S. It's it's tough because there's a lot of very funny choices. I think I legitimately think I'm actually very surprised that Oprah Winfrey didn't run. I think she has she would have a legitimate chance of winning the Democratic nominee if she did. Um, yeah. I th- who would I want? Because yeah, let's just say like you select them and then they just kind of get the powers of the presidency. You have no oversight for four years. You pretty. What do you mean you have no? Oversight? I'm saying in this hypothetical, we're just selecting someone, and then they just get to be president, and we don't have any say afterwards. Well, yeah. I mean, they would still be subject to the congressional oversight. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. As as much as that exists, Um, I take these (laughs) hypotheticals seriously, Morgan. All right. Well, I'm going to go with the British example first. I think I'm going to select James McAvoy. Oh, yeah. That's nice. He just seems like he'd do a good job. You know, it's uh, I'm falling into the same trap as before. But uh, and how about for the U.S. Hmm. Maybe who who would be? So I, I, I'm leaning towards people that I know like already interested in politics, which is kind of cheating. So let me try to select well, somebody. What, 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 you you can decide the rules for the, for my end. Well, no, it's just it just it makes it it's a difficult question because 
once you think of notoriety and like people that actually people would know, yeah, you're immediately kind of like, okay, it's like an actor, exactly, or like a famous TV personality. That's like only the monocultural only will recognize those two camps. True. You know? True. Okay, I'm gonna go with. I mean, I feel like you can't go wrong with Meryl Streep because even she could like convince me she was the president right now. She's such a good actress, which I feel like is is mildly unfair. Right. Um, but I mean, I also think uh, somebody. I'm trying to outside of the actress frame. Somebody like Mia Hamm, maybe. Oh, I've seen some interviews choice. with her, and she yeah. seems like she could be pretty competent in that role. Um, that's a good choice. All right, I'm gonna stick with that then. We've got we've got unanimous two person vote. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I, I would support Mia Hamm over over Hanks even. Really? Wow. Get a new face in there. I feel like you'd probably lose that battle. People would love Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they could be a ticket. Maybe. Yeah, I'd vote for that ticket for sure. Ham and mm. Hanks. Yep. What about what about like uh, Denzel Washington? He was also he was also on the list. He was like top five most trusted. So I feel like he'd also have a chance. Anyone who's just that well known, Damn. as long as they didn't say anything really stupid, would have a decent chance. I know The Rock was thinking Denzel about running. Is... Denzel's for sure plays nah, a president, no, right? No thanks. Not The Rock. Denzel yeah, has no, played a president multiple no times, thanks. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, Denzel. I, that is a good option. Denzel Mia Hamm, twenty twenty two. Well, I just like I heard Denzel in an interview. Sorry to go on. A no, tangent, go ahead. But I heard him. Any Denzel tangents are completely acceptable. <laughs> right. I heard him in an interview talking about how uh, he was being interviewed as part of the Oscars roundtable when he was nominated for Fences mm. um, last. I don't know two years yeah. ago. Yeah. And um, he was talking about how I don't know what the question was posed to him. He's talking about how making a movie isn't hard. Like when we talk about it, it being like difficult, yeah. we're not actually talking about it being hard mm-hmm. in the scope of things. He's like, you know what's hard? Like seeing your child get shot in the face, like in war. <laughs> wow. He's like, that is hard. <laughs> you got to give it to him. <laughs> you like, you hear, no, but you hear like Denzel and there's like, there's no like sarcasm in his like delivery like he like that is his mindset and someone who is that kind of like firmly planted on the ground and in the perspective after being after being you know winning multiple academy awards after you know being one of the most acclaimed actors of his generation to have to be able to have that kind of perspective would lend me to believe that he could probably be a type of leader that could kind of corral some support. So I like. That. I mean, to be fair, obviously Denzel would be. I mean, I'd elect him right now if it was the choice between the current president and Denzel. I think that the standards are incredibly low at the moment. So it seems like anyone with any sort of authenticity and a modicum of moral reasoning um, would make a fine leader of the country, which is why I think that politics and celebrity are not going to be unintertwined anytime soon. I think that if anything, it's going to be a feature of American politics for a long time. I think those, I mean, this is obviously idealistic to 
say this, especially with as much technological innovation as we're in for. Um, but I think those would be spheres best kind of separate. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, ideally, yes, but I think that that's unrealistic. I mean, it's a it's a democracy, right. and we elect people based on popular support, and there's nobody more popular than celebrities. So I think that trying right. to keep those apart, especially when politicians become more and more ideological and less and less competent i i mean the basis for becoming a politician nowadays is not necessarily any sort of training or background i don't know why people would continue to kind of disparage the influence of celebrities even though they probably should um yeah but yeah i mean it's one of the main things that it requires to become a prime politician in the united states isn't you know is just popularity and that's something that few people have outside of celebrities do you think the reason that we don't have more celebrity politicians and when i say celebrity politician i'm not i'm not talking about like the ocasio yeah, yeah, of, course, yeah. of the world who yeah. came out of nowhere and like made our name, celebrities about... as politicians yeah 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 uh do you think their reason the only reason that there aren't more are just the fact that most celebrities don't want like don't care enough about politics to make that their career. I think that's the, probably the main reason. I think the second reason is that there is kind of still this, you know, meaningful block between people kind of put politicians on another stage in their minds. It's kind of out of the realm. They see celebrity and politicians separately. And I don't know if Donald Trump becoming president will kind of break down that barrier, kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger did. But I think even when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California, nobody really saw him as a governor. They just saw him as like an actor who was the head of California. Um, and I think that is kind of the difficulty in breaking down that barrier. Not that it can't be done, but I think that it will cascade at some point when there's so much overlap that it'll be, it'll be a very... Very scary. And I think that, that that time might not be too far off. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I was talking to my brother, Oliver. Shout out to Oliver about this. Because um, we were talking about 2020. What's up, Ollie? And the Democratic, yeah, the Democratic nominees, which is a conversation that I just love speculating about against my better judgment. We will, for our viewers out there, we will do... An episode on this. Maybe we can decide if it's going to be one of the short ones or long ones. But we'll have a we can have a ranking and a and a draft live on the air. Yeah. So I I I won't go into you know much of that at all. I'm just saying that um, I talked about how I liked some of the younger candidates. I liked you know Cory Booker mm -hmm. and uh, Beto. You're Beto definitely Mark, the the biggest works. Booker fan that I know. Yeah, I like him. Um, and then Oliver was like. You know, are these guys qualified to be president? <laughs> I think it's a fair. Yeah. I think it's a fair yeah, question. Yeah. It's like you know, that's a fair question. Um, I think that that question is be is being taken less and less seriously each election, and I think that's a bad trajectory to be on. To talk about the the qualifications for the highest office in the country, to kind of be. Uh, 
lower on that priority list than what do you think about LGBT or abortion or any of these ideological issues? It's like, well, has this has this person like been in any type of government before? Yeah. Like, have they been in a leadership position? Have they have they ethically managed a big staff of people? Like, we that's the kind of stuff that once we establish a baseline, you know. Uh, like floor of qualifications among that, then we can talk more in depth about, okay, you said this about abortion in 2010, but now you're saying this or whatever ideological issue. You know? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think there's something to be said for the genuineness of admitting that you're not, you know, omnipotent in a way in those leadership positions. I think when someone comes in and decides not to listen to their advisors because they think they know better about the economic situation in Southeast Asia when they no way they possibly could. There's something, some people that ha, you kind of have to be open-minded in those leadership positions, especially when as president of the United States, your job is essentially to govern the U.S. and also other countries' relations for four years in areas that you've never even heard of, much less that you could have any sort of personal expertise on. Um, and so I think it is – there's this kind of a sense that you, you do have to have some sort of knowledge of the U.S. political system at least. But I do think that it's more about understanding that you're you're the head of a larger team in the government and that you're supposed to be leading that team for the benefit of the people. And that definitely doesn't seem like the way that we're headed, which is terrifying. Yeah. I think that – so it's unrealistic to pretend that we live in a media landscape where qualifications would be the number one topic of concern yeah. for all voters. Um, I don't I'm, – I'm not trying to be disparaging about that, but I'm just saying like that's just the reality. And so we do have to kind of take it seriously. It's like, okay, the qualifications, like that discussion may or may not come up. Uh but what will definitely come up is the optics of this person, their image, their background. Uh, you know, I guess it's kind of the the persona versus the actual, I guess, on the ground, behind closed doors, I don't know, dichotomy. And I think it is kind of a dichotomy because it has to be because the outward facing person, once you're president can never divulge everything that goes on behind closed doors because a lot of that information is classified. Like, of course you can't. And so it takes a certain type of person that's able to be one person publicly and one person privately. We hope that the, um, barrier between the public and the persona is is minimized to the absolute extent that it can be in order to just the baseline just to protect american interests but other than that we hope i would hope that there's a lot of continuity between the public and the private like person you know and that goes back to the authenticity but um i don't know it's just it's difficult to figure out the kind of like concoction and the timing of the country and like what's going to work, you know, because yeah, 
we don't want to like nominate someone who's not qualified, but by the same extent, like we want to nominate someone that can inspire people. And some of, and that isn't necessarily and usually isn't the most qualified person. And it plays right into the skill set of celebrities. They're basically yeah, exactly. their training for their profession. Most of them is have being bombarded by journalists and individuals and fans and being able to manage those expectations on a national stage. And so regardless of, well, it's also regardless of, 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 uh, you know, qualifications, this is what they were brought up to do. Yeah. And it's also, they're trained and even athletes to a certain degree, they're trained to elicit an emotional response from an audience. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like they are, are, much more, much better, um, just because this is their training. They're much better at tapping into the emotional sides of the voters, and that's what people vote with. They vote with their emotions, and so it's naturally the candidate with the more charisma, nine, eight times out of ten, is going to win, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a reason that all presidents, the the average height of presidents is much higher than the average height of the population. It's a lot of optics, a oh, lot of charisma. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm all in support. I think that if anything, if we're going to have to have celebrities in politics, I think we should at least diversify the types of celebrities. I'm all for uh, some qualified and interested musicians and, and athletes trying to invest their time post-career in political effic- efficacy and trying to improve you know, social relations. Um, I think that's the way forward. I mean, okay, so let's, we, can, we can close this out. Where do you see, what do you feel is the ideal way to incorporate celebrities in politics or celebrities in society? And what do you think is the most likely outcome? Say the next 20 years. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think the ideal way of incorporating celebrities in politics is to incorporate the ones who actually give a shit you know yeah uh i feel like does do jay-z and beyonce were they really passionate about Hillary clinton you know i mean or you could say yeah any were they like this is we we just have to stop this other guy being president and she's nice enough so we'll do this concert and i think people see through that so I think as much as possible, like seek out celebrities who, you know, know what they're talking about and are able or willing to kind of go the extra mile in demonstrating that to people. Um, and I think those are the people that you kind of want on the stump for candidates. And then, you know, if they, if they really care and they really demonstrate that and they get into like smaller levels of government, that's the other thing is like, Celebrities shouldn't just jump to president. Uh, Ronald Reagan was governor of California before mm-hmm. president, so like fair play to him. Um, but I think that if you're a celebrity wanting to get into politics, start small. Even if small for you, even if you're so famous that small for you is governor, like start there. You know, demonstrate that you can uh, govern at a at a local level before in national or i mean the president of the united states is governing at an international level so i think demonstrate some competency first and then kind of 
build on that. I think if you go straight from, you know, your career as a celebrity personality, whatever iteration that takes to a run for the president, just reeks of vanity. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I... So I guess that's it. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, we're not supporting celebrities getting into politics, but I, I think it's a kind of an inevitability that it will continue rather than kind of turning a blind eye to this phenomena like we have been doing. I think, unfortunately, the impetus is on the celebrities themselves not to kind of mismanage their influence. But I do think that the only positive from that is that I do believe that they will be more successful if they take the time to invest in local communities and local issues first to demonstrate their skill sets, demonstrate what they actually care about before kind of working their way up to these national levels. And I, I think you do see that with a lot of celebrities, um, especially a lot of athletes who demonstrate their kind of social awareness of issues outside of, of their sports. Um, and I think that that is, this is an issue that needs to remain open, but something that is sort of up to the celebrities themselves to realize because trying to convince you know the, the population to analyze individual candidates against politicians that they don't trust is not going to be a successful strategy. Should we uh, go to break and then come back with a hard-hitting question afterwards to close this thing out? Welcome back. We have one final segment. It's the the classic uh, Morgan's hard hitting questions here at the end of the pod. So to to sum this up, Eddie, this is a bit a bit different, but it's it's definitely related. So speaking of, we talked about um, Brian Singer and you know the new Michael Jackson documentary coming out, and kind of Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement. Can we responsibly enjoy the output? Of disgraced celebrities yeah it's a really, it's a really good question something i've been struggling with since the me too stuff's come out um i think i'll answer this in a roundabout way but um no so, i want direct <laughs> yeah this is just the. <laughs> this is the only part we're gonna play we're gonna put this at the beginning and we're gonna send it to all your friends <laughs> this would be great um I think it depends. Nice. I think that... <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. I think that... Uh, if, you, if you litigate all of show business and start mm-hmm. eliminating everybody who has egregiously sinned, yeah. I don't know if you're going to be consuming the same culture that most of other people in America are consuming. Yeah. Um, and you could say that anyways, because it's like, look how much stuff's on Netflix. Look at, like, how many, like, you, no one watched the same thing anyway. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's important if you're in academic circles or if you're just, like, talking about uh, movies, let's say. And you take a principled stance not to watch Woody Allen movies. Yeah. And you're talking about 70s film with someone. I don't know how you avoid talking about 
played against Sam and uh, Annie Hall and like that. And then it's kind of like, how do you talk about Larry David if you don't talk about Woody Allen's like work? And I don't know. So I think that it's, um, I think it depends. And it's kind of, this is why it's such a hard, like unfair thing. It's not fair because the reason I brought up Woody Allen is he's, again, he's had such a massive impact. And part of you just has to respond to that impact and like and interact with it, whether or not you agree philosophically with um, consuming art from somebody who's uh, been accused of what he has, you know, child abuse and uh, I think sexual abuse, right? So, yeah, yeah it's tough. I mean, um, at the See, same I told time, you, it's a hard hitting like, question. I'm not going to give you these uh, softball yeah, questions. Come on. At the same time, it's like if you're if you're like driving home and you know want to flip on Bill Cosby's stand-up comedy special from the 80s Oof. i don't think there's anything ethically wrong with that but i it's i imagine it would be so hard to enjoy those jokes knowing what we know now i guess see that's i feel like okay so there's two different like athletes is a different thing because most of the time it's not any sort of previous art i mean i know people watch replays of games but it's not really that it's more about in the moment kind of uh, like things like Ray Rice or Michael Vick's um, yeah. incidents. And I think that the punishment in those circumstances is a lot more obvious that there should be some sort of immediate action. But that's because they're governed by a league. I, I think that the Woody Allen kind of Bill Cosby thing is, for me, it's tougher to appreciate the art when it's the person who's done the indiscretion is the creator, like the creative mind behind the piece. Rather than yeah. someone like Kevin Spacey, who, although it's more immediately dissatisfying to see him on screen, I can I personally like rationalize it to myself, I suppose, and being like he didn't actually create this; he's just an actor in it. Um, but but it's tough. I mean, you see it, and it's very hard to to watch some of the movie, the great movies that he's been in, and not think about the terrible things he's done, and see if you're in some way supporting that by you know giving ad revenue to that stream of that movie or whatever it is people like brian singer and others who have pretty clearly been brought up on charges in this era it's it's a it's a difficulty that i think is a lot easier when the person has been indicted rather than if they've kind of gotten away with it to this point yeah i guess how do you extract that person's contribution from the hundreds of other people that have contributed to that let's say let's take film like specifically yeah to that movie um is a difficult thing i think if it's an author if it's a i mean <laughs> this goes back to like i'm sure there's been tons of authors that have just been done egregious things but mm-hmm. they're not in the public eye and we don't know about them and so I guess we can keep reading whoever because we don't know. Yeah. Well, I also think there's um, a, there's a you also want. I mean, point of art is not to only present the good; it's to learn from all sides of humanity. 
And if we kind of start truncating the archives of celebrity output in a way that takes away from the negative, then it's almost like airbrushing, you know, racism yeah. from Disney movies in a way. Yeah, we're kind of on a stall. No, yeah. it's interesting. I think, I guess my answer would be you can still, you know, consume the art, but there sh- but you should be viewing it from a different angle and paying attention to that new, I guess, dimension that's added. Not, and I don't mean to like fetishize, like, ooh, there's this dark past now. No, it's like, have it be complicated. It's it's murky. It's it's gross at times. It's but it's complex. Like it, and not always in an appealing way. So like, I think engage with a cognitive dissonance that that allows when you feel like you need to, or when you're, I guess, approached with that situation. Absolutely, I think that's a great answer. And there we go, folks. You, it's solved. You can uh, you can watch the usual suspects. Um. Yeah, you know, I feel like if we just do enough of these episodes, and you ask, and and we and you ask enough of these hard hitting questions, we'll just solve every issue. Well, you'll become a celebrity, and then you'll integrate yourself into politics. Now that we have the playbook for you, and there you go. 